Hi and hello. You found the podcast for moms who don't have time for podcasts. You can think of me as your internet bestie as we share recommendations, laugh about the ridiculous things we see online, and cheer each other on. I'm Indiana Adams, and today, by the way, is the short and sweet podcast that hopefully brightens your day. I am so glad you're here. Hello, hello. Welcome to our second birthday week bonus episode. Again, same deal as yesterday's. Please feel free to skip over this one if you are not a Christian. I never want to make anyone who does not share my faith feel like this podcast or this community is not for them. We are absolutely for you, and this is a bonus episode for my birthday week apart from our regular Monday and Friday content. I'm doing this episode mainly to have a place to point people to. Whenever I snap a photo of our family doing family devotionals or mention that that's a part of our night routine, I will get like 10 DMs asking me what we do, when we started, how often we do it, and how we do it. This is not like when an influencer says, so everyone's been asking me about my skincare routine and like literally no one has asked. (laughs) I promise the question of how we do faith as a family or how God is working in my life lately is up there for me. It's right after what's your race and how did you become a Christian and where's your favorite place to get wings? (laughs) So yesterday's bonus episode was about how Jesus changed everything in my life. And today's episode is what that looks like, practically speaking these days, for me as a busy mom and for us as a family with little kids. As a reminder, though, today, by the way, is not an advice show. I don't try to position myself as an expert. I used to have a line in my intro that said I would never try to sell you an e-course, but I took that out because someone very graciously pointed out that it sounded like a dig toward those who do sell their services, and, and she cautioned me to never say never, and I'm glad she did. The heart behind that line, though, is that these episodes aren't me teaching you how to do things. I'm not a coach. I am a cheerleader. I am alongside you, encouraging you as you encourage me. I want to be your older sister here, not your wise, old, kooky aunt. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so first thing first, if you could go back and listen to yesterday's bonus episode, that might be helpful. It gives you some background, but the TLDR version is that I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I started going to youth group my junior year of high school for free pizza, and then dedicated my life to God the summer between my junior and senior years of high school. No one in my home modeled prayer or reading the Bible or going to church for me. I ended up going to a very conservative Christian college after not growing up planning to go to college at all. I was new in the faith didn't know the Bible, and my only Christian friend was my pastor's son, who became my boyfriend, who was a year younger than me and not at college with me. I knew no one and nothing about this Christian college, a university that had required religion classes and mandatory chapel, where all the cool kids led worship teams or were in the choir or were religion majors. They could all talk the talk, and I was a fish out of water. I had this college class called Sharing Our Faith, which this is nuts, but I still have the course catalog from school. And it says, this class seeks to equip and encourage the student to share faith in Christ with other individuals in various situations. It will explore the motives, personal inhibitions, and methods for sharing faith in Christ with others. Y'all, I was terrible at this class. First of all, I was not academically minded and was a poor student in 
all of my classes except for writing and performing courses. And second of all, the class would begin each day with sword drills. Do y'all know what sword drills are? No? (laughs) Let me explain. So the professor would call out a Bible verse, say Micah 7-7, and everyone would furiously flip through their Bibles to see who could find it the fastest. I would be like, guys, is this in the Old Testament or the New Testament? (laughs) And I'd be trying to look at my neighbor. I would still be looking in the index by the time the kid who found it was reading it to the rest of the class. To my recollection, the class was a lot of memorizing scripture and being able to succinctly share the gospel with anyone. I walked with a respectable C in that class, and I also walked with the troubling thought that if this faith and this God that I dedicated my life to is real, and if the primary way he now speaks to his people is through the Bible, and if I'm going to base my morality on what this Bible says, then I had better know what the whole Bible says. Plus, I felt really behind. My peers at this Christian school, by and large, grew up in Christian homes, and they spent their Wednesdays and Sundays at church and their summers at church camp and going on mission trips. They had all the lingo down and could rattle off verses and songs based on scripture at the drop of a hat, whereas I wasn't sure if Paul was one of the 12 disciples or if he came later or what, but I was way into it. This is an awful analogy, but let's get real here. When Chris and I first started dating and after our first kiss, we were hot and heavy for each other, even though we were in a long-distance relationship. Our love was new, we were young and getting to know each other, and I just wanted to connect with him in all the ways, especially since my access to being with him was limited. But now, I mean, we've been together for, uh, has it been 20 years? I think it's been 20 years. (laughs) And he is my constant, especially now since he's been working for home since March and I haven't traveled at all this year. We are always together. I have access to spending time with him every night. We are, by now we are very familiar with each other. And I mean, we still get hot and heavy, but I wouldn't say that it's as desperate or intense in the same way that it was when we were newly together. My love for him has certainly grown over the last 20 years, that's for sure. But we don't have to steal away for hours to make out with each other anymore. You know what I'm saying? So maybe being a new Christian is kind of like that. Like I said, this is a terrible analogy. (laughs) When I was newer to the faith, I wanted to go to all the youth rallies and revivals and Christian concerts and music festivals. And I wanted to sign up to serve or attend something with the church and other believers every single night. I spent a lot of time in the Word because it was all new to me. My time wasn't stretched like it is now. My body and mind weren't as tired. I could write an exegetical paper, serve kids through Awana, attend an evening worship service, meet a friend for prayer, and then go back to my room and read a devotional book and journal about it all in one night. How different my days look now. I used to feel... I don't know if guilty is the right word, but I used to be hard on myself because I knew I wasn't giving even a fraction of my life to God like that since becoming a mother. In the last 10 years, I've watched my disciplines of faith, things like studying the Bible in depth, journaling, spending time in prayer. I've allowed those things to get pushed to the margins of my day. I admire other mothers who get up early before anyone else to dedicate their dawn to this, but that is not for me in this season. 
honestly, I feel like if I got up earlier, then my kids would just shift so they could get up when I get up. And then I would just be pushing the needle back until I was waking up at 3 a.m. trying to get up before them. If you're looking at your life and you feel bad about what you may perceive as waning faith, take heart and, and take time to really evaluate if that's true. There's a difference between a waning faith versus limited time to dedicate to the disciplines of faith. Now, granted, the latter of these, eschewing prayer and reading the Bible and gathering with other believers, can certainly contribute to a weakened faith, but know the difference between the two. Do you have guilt over a new season where babies and toddlers and kids take up your day? Or do you feel convicted that you should shift some things around in your schedule to make time for the things that can help you feel better connected to God? Know the difference between ungodly guilt and holy conviction. Okay, so all of this to say is that we can posture our hearts and orient our lives to point to Jesus, but in this season of busy motherhood, the ability to take long strides toward him may not be possible. When you have a baby, you may only be able to take what feels like baby steps toward him. That's what I've found to be true for me anyway, but I do want to share some things that have helped me make sure that I am still oriented toward God, even when my time is limited and my mom brain takes over and feels like I'm not as good at remembering things. So first of all, technology is great. Yes, yes, it is nice to sit down with a cup of hot tea and flip the marked up pages of a worn Bible and to seep up the new wisdom that springs forth. I mean, My favorite sound in the entire world is the sound of a community of believers flipping the thin pages of their Bibles together. I like to imagine that that sound is what a host of angel wings might sound like, but more often than not, I find myself with a scrap of five or ten minutes in the carpool line or driving 45 minutes to somewhere without an actual Bible on hand. That's when my phone comes in handy. I have a hundred Bible translations in my pocket through the Bible app. I have the whole Bible read in different voices set to music that fits my current mood in the Dwell app. There are sermons from churches all over the world online in audio form, and there are so many people and communities creating gospel-centered digital content. Things like She Reads Truth and podcasts like Risen Motherhood and Truth's Table and Journey Women and Wire Talk and the Bible Recap and the Bible Binge and my personal favorite, Nancy Guthrie's Help Me Teach the Bible. You may not be able to wake up an hour before your kids to read the Bible, but you might be able to listen to the whole Bible in a year just on your commute. Okay, number two, I want to encourage you to spend time in community with other believers. We have talked about how isolating motherhood can be and how surprising that is for some of us, but we've also talked about how we are built for community. Listen, when God created the first human, the only thing made in his image, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Up until that point, God would create something and then say it was good. The very first thing God calls not good in all of scripture is loneliness, God's people, which his church, God's people started as a family and that family became a nation and we have been adopted into that. Faith is meant to be lived out and practiced among others. So just like you did what you needed to do to get childcare or preschool or whatever for your kid, 
Do what you need to do to get into a church where you can serve alongside others and in a small group where you can pray for each other in earnest and make friends with women who are also believers. Then mark that gathering time as sacred in your calendar. We have been a part of a small group for more than 10 years, and I've just found that I am more likely to be consistent in attendance when it's at my house. So that's I do what I need to do to make sure I'm the host. If I have to load everyone in the car and figure out childcare, forget it. But if everyone's coming to me and I just have to walk downstairs, I won't miss it. Sometimes it can feel like so much work to get the kids to church, but I've never left a service or small group gathering and said, well, that was a waste of my time. Every single time, I am glad we went. I either learned something, something was affirmed, or I felt something, or I connected with someone. Okay, number three. One of the best pieces of advice my pastor from Texas ever gave us was to do life with a faith mindset instead of trying to adjust life to fit in a time of practices of faith. So prayers can be said while doing the grocery shopping. Lord, thank you for your provision. Prayers can be said while bathing your babies. Lord, thank you for these miracles and for making us fearfully and wonderfully. You can keep a record of gratitude. We like to jot down answered prayers in a book on our coffee table. And I just downloaded an app called My Prayer Journal that I can write in any time because I often don't have my journal on me when a prayer need springs up. So don't think you only have to relegate your faith time to this set devotional time, either in the morning or at night. Your practice of faith is happening at all times. Okay, number four, don't forget that you can do hard things. I mean, you birthed a baby. (laughs) Maybe you are being called to wake up early or to go into the mission field or to open your home to foster care or to read the entire Bible. If God is calling you to something that seems daunting, just remember, You're not doing it from your own power and reserves, and you're not doing it alone. If you're part of a church or a small group or in a group of Christian friends, you can ask someone to cheer you on in that. Also, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have access to that at all times. You can ask God for wisdom and diligence, and he will answer that prayer. He will answer that in a way that you can't even imagine. And That's it. There are so many tools and communities available now. So truly, you can do what works for you. And if you miss a day or if you're in a season that feels like a spiritual drought, don't beat yourself up over it. There are seasons to faith. Sanctification, which is the work of becoming more like Jesus, that's a journey with lots of twists and turns and hills and valleys and backward steps and even divergent paths. But the faithful diligence of moving forward on your path, no matter the pace, is where your faith is strengthened. Can I ask you to think about water in the Bible? See, sometimes God calls you to build a boat to prepare for a flood that you don't see coming. Sometimes God parts water so that you can pass through it to escape something that's, that's trying to destroy you. Sometimes God calls you to lay down besides cool waters to be rested and to be refreshed. But sometimes God calls you out onto the water in the middle of a storm to learn how to depend on him. But in all circumstances, God is calling you to where he is. He is the living water that fills us and refreshes us and sustains us. We don't even have to fill the cup. So just remember... You may be in a season where you're walking on waves, or maybe you feel like you're running through dangerous parted waters, or maybe you're in a season where he's making you rest. Don't compare your seasons. They're all, they're all a part of it. 
God is pursuing you and wooing you and you just need to turn and walk toward him. He will run to you or call you to where he is. I could go on and on about this. (laughs) This is a straight up sermon, but I do want to pause here to thank a sponsor that made production possible this month, a company who helps support our community and our October sponsor, The Upper Room. These days, I'm finding comfort in the small things that make me feel more grateful and grounded in life. For me, that is the sweet after-school car ride conversations that I get to have with the kids. It's reading a book on my screened porch, and it's laughing with you guys about this podcast and interacting with our thoughtful community on social media. Things that I can count on every day to help me be a more thankful person. Things like the Upper Room Daily Devotional Guide. You can count on the Upper Room for daily inspiration, community, and prayer. It's interdenominational and the only devotional magazine written by its readers, just ordinary people who have encountered God in daily situations. The Upper Room is here for you every day through your email, their custom app, or their printed magazine, which has been around for over 80 years and has 5 million readers worldwide. I've been getting their emails for a couple weeks now, and I appreciate having that daily encouragement pointing me to what really matters. Today, by the way, friends can enjoy a free 30-day trial of the Upper Room's email or app service by visiting upperroom.org welcome. That's U-P-P-E-R-R-O-O-M dot org slash welcome to get your first 30 days free. And now back to the show. When I was wrestling through the loss of career opportunities after I became a mother and what that did to my identity, one of the things that calmed my soul was the question of, what if the greatest thing I do isn't something I do, but rather is someone I raise? I later learned that that was a well-known Andy Stanley quote, but regardless, this question really framed up for me how important a mother's work is and how God uses moms to make disciples to build his kingdom. I went through a women's leadership pipeline training through my church, and one of the icebreaker questions of our first night of class was, who modeled strong faith for you? And the majority of the women in that room named a parent or a grandparent. Raising your kids in a Christian home doesn't guarantee that they will become Christians, but I do think the importance of teaching them strong biblical theology and how to read the Bible and pray puts some building blocks there that can lay the groundwork for a long, faithful Christian life. We don't do things perfectly with our kids in our house, but we do do things consistently. Karen Stubbs, the founder of Birds on a Wire in her curriculum mom core, has moms categorize things into non-essentials, which are things that you need for your spiritual and relational well-being, essentials, which are things that have to happen for life to run well, and then bonuses, things that you want but they're more like icing on the cake, things that you can say yes to when your non-negotiables and your essentials are taken care of. She gives this great piece of advice that your non-negotiables actually need to be scheduled or they have to have a rhythm of them that is consistent because other things that feel urgent but are not non-negotiables will constantly fight for your time and attention. School projects and sports and chores aren't essential, But these things often take over all the time that you need for your non-negotiables. So from the get-go, we have made sure that doing devotional time as a family and attending church as a family and doing small group is a non-negotiable instead of an essential. And I want Chris to join me to talk about how that looks for our family in the day-to-day. 
people want to know, like when we started, what we're reading, how we deal with it when the kids are being crazy. So yeah, let's just let's just talk about when we started. Do you remember? It's pretty early when Jude was little. We had been given a children's Bible by our church, and so we just started reading through it, one little story a night. We were given the big picture story Bible, and we just read a chapter every single night, I mean, for years. And I remember telling you, if this Bible gets tattered and torn and beat up, that's okay. I want the most worn book in our house to be a Bible. That's right. And uh, it has definitely gotten tattered and worn. When Caroline was born, we still continued with that. And in fact, both of those two kids learned to read out of that Bible. Like Jude had it memorized by the time he was three. Right. And it's it's a beautiful book uh, to to plug this one specifically because it's got large pictures. There's not very many, many words on each page. So the kids can really look at it and enjoy the artwork. And even for us, years later, there would be little details that the artist had put into the uh, drawings that we didn't even see initially. And so it was cool to keep going through it and keep discovering more. I appreciate the big picture story Bible because it really does show that the Old Testament is a part of the New Testament. I feel like in children's church, a lot of times children don't really hear the Old Testament outside of stories of about Noah or Daniel in the lion's den. That, that in a lot of churches, they're just getting moral stories out of the Old Testament. It really shows that there is a whole story to the Bible, that it's not just individual stories, and that it, it is cohesive, and that it gives us the mental furniture on not just how to look at the Bible, but how to understand the world around us and how to understand ourselves. One of the questions that somebody asked me recently is, do you do it anyway when the kids are tired? Or like, what do you do when they just won't sit still or be quiet? Well, we uh, we say, hey, everybody quiet down. And uh, there may be, uh, there's, there's some truth to that. But uh, we do affirm that it's an important time and try to be flexible. For example, I got us a book to use as a family devotional that will go through the Psalms. And it's, it is geared towards children, and I was really excited about it, but it also seemed like it was just maybe a little bit beyond where we're at. So attention spans just weren't there, interest level just wasn't there. So we dropped back and punted, and instead of going through the devotional material, we're just reading the psalm, or reading a psalm each night, and talking about it, doing what we usually have done lately now that the kids have grown up a little bit more, is talk about some observations, talk about thoughts, and then uh, and then we pray. I appreciate that we mix it up. Sometimes we will do family devotional at dinner or while the kids are having dessert. Sometimes we'll do them in Jude's room. Sometimes we'll do it in the girls' room. Sometimes we do it in the living room. We really just, we're flexible about where we do it. We're not flexible on doing it at all. We do this when we're on vacation. We will do it in the car. Like if we're, I remember we were leaving your brother's wedding. It was really late at night, 10 30, 11 o'clock. And we're like, okay, let's do a psalm while we're driving and talk about it. And then when we get home, we just have to pray and brush our teeth. Right. And I think now the kids have, I mean, it's, they understand it's part of the routine, part of the rhythm as well. So, 
they they enjoy it. They expect it. And sure, sometimes we have better nights than others, but you know, we we it's part of our routine. We do our family devotion time at night. That works for us. It may not work for you. I read in a book recently about a man who has his kids all come downstairs in their pajamas with their comforters, and they start their morning with a psalm before they read breakfast, before they brush their teeth. It's the very first thing they do, and then they start their day. Right, and that could work really well. Maybe now that there's more work from home happening, maybe that would work. Maybe lunchtime could work uh, for those who are not yet in uh, in-person schooling. So I think finding a good time is is really important. For us, the end of the day, yes, everyone's starting to get thin on the attention span, but uh, it's a good wind down as well. So it's it's also a time that we want to intentionally be calm. Are there any specific books? We mentioned the Big Picture Story Bible. Are there any other specific books that we would recommend for people who have little kids at home? That's who the Today By The Way audience is. They have preschoolers, toddlers, babies, young elementary school kids. You'll have to check the show notes, but a couple of things I can mention off the top of my head is there's everything a child should know about God, which is a a short book that's got kind of one page with words, one page with a a, uh, drawing, and it's, it's something short and easy that really helps, like I mentioned earlier, the mental furniture to to really understand and think. Uh, It's great for devotional stuff. And Gosh, we've used probably a dozen books or more over the course of uh, the last 10 years. So I'll have to uh, I'll have to get back to you on that. I don't know if we'll have show notes. It's the bonus episode. But I'll definitely put all the resources that you mentioned in our Facebook group. So aside from reading scripture together, going through a book together that kind of helps us put those building blocks in for theology, I don't think any anyone is too young to start doing theology. That's just the study of who God is. I don't think we need to be intimidated by that word. Aside from that, right now, I feel like I'm trying to press into the children what prayer is. That's not something that I did growing up. I didn't have that modeled for me. And so I'm trying to teach them that they can pray at any time. It's not just us praying at meals or us praying at devotion or them praying at chapel, that they themselves can access God and talk to God anytime they want about anything they want. And it also gives us a good opportunity to have those intimate conversations as we, as our kids are getting older and we get to kind of press into their hearts and share from our own hearts. And those are conversations that might not necessarily happen if we didn't have a focus time like this. And another thing that I think it's important to affirm is that we are parents, we are responsible for bringing our children up. And that includes spiritually. It's something that we can, we have a privilege of doing. And so I think that either saying, oh, I don't know how to do it, or I think I'm going to mess it up, or, um, you know, it's, we can't leave it to accident because everybody's going to grow up and, and believe something. But if we take the time to be intentional now, I think that pays a lot of dividends down the road. Or at least we prayerfully hope so. Right. And even if our children grow up to have vastly different beliefs than us, then we can know in good conscience that we have lovingly brought them up in the faith and that that becomes a choice for them down the road, as as painful as that may be for us. They will know that we brought them up lovingly and hopefully even have 
positive memories, even if they don't choose to, to go on in the faith. That it's not something that we are, are forcing. We are intentional, but we're not forcing it, if that makes sense. Wasn't there some statistic about kids who grow up in a Christian home that if they haven't given their lives to Christ by the time they go to college, they most likely will not? Isn't there some some kind of statistic like that? And and that's that kind of whatever that was, I remember learning that and that really drove it home for me. That I only had these kids in my house for 18 years. Probably. <laughs> One of them says they're gonna live with us forever. Um <laughs> And so this time, this is fertile ground. Like I need to be planting and watering these seeds in in hopeful expectation that we see fruit, that we see the bloom, that there will one day be a harvest. I completely agree. And it's a good time in these devotional times for us to to confess and to apologize to each other. We want to apologize during the day when things come up too, but it gives us a kind of a, just a good touch point to be able to ask forgiveness of each other. And, and that's something that we do imperfectly, but it's something that, again, that I hope that our kids can grow up and, and see that. And another part of this, as I mentioned earlier, about having some of those intimate conversations is the ability to open up our hearts and to ask forgiveness for them to be able to ask forgiveness of each other. And it's something that we don't do perfectly. And we want to do that during the day as things happen as well. But hopefully, as our kids grow up, they learn to have that soft heart to be able to forgive others and to love others. I mean, that's, that is what we are called to do by Jesus. And I do want to say that, you know, we don't, we don't put devotional time in a box. Like we only do prayer together at night or at dinner. Um, since their kids have been really little, we've been trying to tell them pray at all times. And so even to this day, if the kids hear a siren, like a fire truck or a policeman, because when they were babies, little, little babies in car seats, I would just pray out loud like, oh, Lord, help whoever that is who needs help in this emergency. Lord, would you calm hearts and heal bodies? And so the kids just saw that happening. And then as they got older, when I'd hear a siren, I'd be like, okay, who wants to pray? And one of them would just pipe up and say the prayer. And, and they're 10, 8, and 6 now, and they still do that. That's a, I think that's a great example. Anyway, you all know that kids are picking up all the things that we're putting down. And the most important thing that we can do, I think, is just model humility, model asking for forgiveness, model. Let your kids see you reading the Bible. Let your kids see you taking time to say, hey, I just want to stop and pray right now. Um, even if it's not for an emergency vehicle, if it's just, hey, like, let's thank the Lord for that. They just they just need to see it, and they'll replicate it. I agree. And to your point earlier about whether or not somebody believes by their 18, I mean, I think, I don't know about statistics, but we can look around anecdotally, right? Not just faith, but all kinds of beliefs and worldview and everything kind of gets set and doesn't change as much the older you get. So this is a this is a great opportunity that we have in this time. I shared my story yesterday in a bonus episode on the podcast, and I've already gotten a few messages from people that have said, wow, I grew up in the church. I don't have a story like that. And to those people, I want to say, man, thank your parents. If you grew up in the church, thank your parents. They did some behind the scenes work. They were on their knees praying for you. And I 
I don't think that I could have seen how tangible and how powerful um, Christ's work was in people's lives had it not been for the kids in my youth group that that I met that were kind and loving, that were accepting of others, that really did model Christ on earth. And so if that's part of your story, that's still a powerful story. And that's the story I want for my kids. Honestly, that's the life I want for them. I want them, like that's my biggest dream is that they would give their life to Christ early and cling to him forever. Thanks, Chris, for hopping in. Always a pleasure. Well, that's it for this birthday week bonus episode of Today, by the way, and is the end of our two-part faith-based miniseries. I just want to encourage you here. I know that in my skincare and makeup episode on Monday, I literally posted a list of 50 different products I love and use and talked about a 10-step skincare regimen. So many of you were like, oh, dang, do I need to be doing more than washing my face with hand soap? I don't really wear makeup. Is this actually necessary? I'm friend. It's not. It's not necessary at all. It's That's all exterior, and honestly, nothing will stop us from aging. Being made aware of how temporal our bodies and our faces are is actually a wonderful exercise in learning how to depend on God and to long for a new creation. I know that today I gave you a giant list of things and lots of ideas to do and try, but that doesn't mean to implement them all. Just like I cautioned you against comparing your current season to past seasons, I want to caution you to not compare your family's journey to ours. We do not have it figured out. Our kids are nuts and bananas. And we would love to learn how you're doing things at your home so that we can try new things too. I hope this episode encourages you instead of exhausting you or making you feel guilty. We are in this together, and I am cheering you on for the kingdom. Today, by the way, is Wednesday, October the 28th, 2020.